Ladies and gentlemen, from time to time, radio programs of vastly individual and divergent types. As far as I'm concerned, this project is a lot more important than that cosmic ray bomb they're testing out in the Pacific tonight. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program. An interesting piece of news. Start beating those signals, Mark. I might as well tell you the whole story. Here is your host and master of ceremonies. Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I am your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do head over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And this is episode 82 for the week of November 27th, uh, as we ease ourselves into the holiday season, uh, or as the stores near my house appear to be doing, run full frickin' bore at the holiday season with guns blazing. Like, seriously, I live near South Granville in Vancouver, and there's lots of little boutique shops and storefronts around my, uh, my house, and I was walking down the street the other day, and it was like Santa Claus had gorilla bushwhacked this entire block overnight i swear to god it was like it was like one day totally normal next day systematic deployment of santa claus's entire holiday arsenal just sprayed on this block like i'm walking down the street and, and this guy's like putting up a wreath he's lights everywhere some dude pops out of his store like merry christmas and i'm like what what's the date today and i'm like okay that's fair it's past american thanksgiving it's retail christmas people are getting stoked parents are starting to run around like uh arnold schwarzenegger in that jingle all the way movie like they need to get the turbo man um but uh do not fear loyal listener of the podcast we are about real holidays whether they be christmas hanukkah kwanzaa and everything great that's in between so we will not fall into the trap of retail holidays, we will wait at least a week until we deploy the delicious selection of items I have on my mixing board that include great carols and holiday-themed sound effects. So we will wait until the month at least begins with a D before joining in the party and inundating you with a selection of great holiday-themed audio treats. Uh, But uh, we will be doing our holiday special as we always do. It's really a blast. I have a great time doing it. And one of the themes we uh, often like to focus on at this time of year is, obviously, the new year. Uh, So we'll be taking a look, both on the podcast and in the paper over the next couple weeks, uh, at some outlooks on uh, commodity prices, socioeconomic and political variables, uh, and things that analysts and the big banks are looking at to balance their portfolios heading into 2018. So we'll talk a little bit about forward-looking metal prices, what the markets are looking like, uh, and some of the big sort of macroeconomic and political headlines, like we've heard so much about the Brexit moves, Donald Trump, the electric vehicle surge, uh, and many things that uh, have uh, caught our attention throughout uh, 2017. Uh, We always ask that question, well, what will 2018 look like? Uh, And we'll be digging into some notes and uh, commentary to just uh, take a look at how the financial community is looking at the onset of 2018. Uh, This week, I do have a great note from Scotiabank uh, on strategic portfolio positioning uh, that talks a little bit about some of the major themes they are looking at uh, and where uh, they believe investors should be putting their money, uh, what's going to be happening with precious and base metals, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll dig into that a little bit later in the show. Should offer some uh, a little bit of valuable uh, insight into what people are saying in terms of forward-looking statements in the investment community. Uh, meanwhile, Leslie is back with a new geology corner. Woohoo! 
And this one circles back on one of the hot button issues in our industry, specifically in the junior resource venture capital markets, and that is Novo Resources, NVO on the TSX Venture, uh, a story that caught fi uh, fire earlier this summer uh, when they released a YouTube video of them effectively trenching and hitting a bunch of, or dragging up a bunch of gold nuggets. What followed was a, uh, a flurry of speculation on the geological model and the role of conglomerates uh, in the mineralized trend. Uh, Leslie's been doing some absolutely great work on this in the paper. I'd uh, highly recommend following along her article flow on Novo Resources. This week, however, she is back because Novo has released a new press release that uh, fundamentally uh, sort of changes their geological model for the uh, Pilbara region where they're working, uh, the Purdy's Reward property, etc. Um, and uh, Leslie's going to dig into that press release and uh, as a geologist she's going to tell us what she thinks they're saying what it means for the property and the company's prospects moving ahead so i, I really recommend everyone listen to that um and sp on the on the topic of venture and and all that stuff i might have a little bit of a i, I, I hesitate to call it a rant but i'm going to talk a little bit later about compliance and disclosure uh we've seen a little bit of uh additional froth in the uh, venture markets, some deals running up on highly speculative narratives that really have no basis in reality. Uh, well, I shouldn't say reality, no basis geologically in terms of drill core, in terms of uh, structural modeling, etc. Uh, just more so just narratives, big words, uh, uh, like things like WITS 2.0 and things like that, that have really whipped people up into a frenzy. Um, but uh, I'll talk a little bit about that, about regulators and disclosure later in the show after the geology corner. But for now, let's head on over to our news and notes of the week. Uh, take a look at metal prices and some of the major stories on the wire. Global commodities were on the upswing this morning after renewed optimism over European and U.S. economic growth. A second estimate of third-quarter gross domestic product on Wednesday showed that the U.S. economy grew at a 3.3% annualized rate, which would put it at its best level since 2014. Furthermore, the European Commission said that the EU economy is quote-unquote on track to grow at its fastest pace in a decade this year. EU executives estimate the eurozone economy will grow by 2.2% in 2017, 2.1% in 2018, and 1.9% in 2019. And flipping over to commodity prices, which were broadly lower at the time of recording, copper was down 1.1% to U.S. $3.04 per pound, while West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil slid 1% to U.S. $57.39 per barrel. Gold dropped 0.9% to $1,283 per Per ounce. Meanwhile, the loonie was weaker against the greenback, down 0.4% to U.S. 78 cents. Switching over to gold specifically, uh, which attempted to rally overnight uh, after North Korea launched a missile near Japan and the U.S. dollar dipped. But uh, as we noted, the U.S. dollar has since rallied on positive GDP news. Uh, primary gold focus remains squarely on the U.S. tax plan, where there is renewed optimism that a deal can get done. Uh, Scotiabank notes that gold has been stuck in its, quote, narrowest monthly range since 2005. Uh, the bank attributes this to soaring stock markets, uh, indicating a buoyant appetite for more cyclical assets. Uh, it notes that world stocks hit fresh highs on Wednesday on signs of progress with, as mentioned, the U.S. tax cuts and Europe's Brexit. 
And shifting gears over to the base metal complex, Scotiabank once again notes that despite positive underlying fundamentals, LME metals continue to consolidate further this morning with the entire complex on the back foot as investors continue to trim long positions, quote, given prices have remained in higher ground for quite some time now. Uh, well, LME copper stocks were down another hefty 5,000 tons overnight and now sit below 200,000 tons for the first time since March, market participants will, quote, point to the fact that SHFE stocks are up 60,000 tons since the beginning of October. Uh, Scosa says this all suggests that the trend couldn't signal more of a uh, reshuffling than actual sustained physical demand. And that perfectly frames our discussion of Scotiabank's portfolio strategy note, i.e. top themes for 2018, late stage positioning. Uh, Scotiabank portfolio strategist Vincent Del Isle writes that his strategy game plan entering 2018 is to, quote, stick to an equity over bond preference with a long bias on cyclical sectors, including financials, industrials and resources. Still, uh, Delisle expects 2018 will be, quote, different from the perfect conditions witnessed in 2017, which included accelerating price manager indexes, U.S. tax reform hopes, and softer consumer price indexes. Uh, Delisle believes the equity risk-reward outlook is not as compelling as a year ago. Uh, he expects more challenging macro uh, conditions to emerge in 2018 as global momentum decelerates and central bank normal normalization, quote, exerts upward pressure on yields. Uh, he and his team are positioned for late stage conditions and his focus will increasingly turn to identifying reversal signals, i.e. jobless claims for the U.S. economy and S&P 500 technicals. A couple other uh, sort of themes from the Scotiabank note that dig into these ideas in a bit more detail. Delisle notes that U.S. dollar weakness should resume in 2018 as, quote, sovereign spends spreads with treasuries continue to narrow. Um, he also notes the commodity should find support in 2018, but expects leadership to shift. His rank order for 2018 would be gold, West Texas Intermediate, and then copper. Uh, fading purchase manager index momentum and a weaker greenback should lift the gold-copper ratio towards the latter part of 2018. Interestingly, uh, Delisle notes Canadian size, quote unquote, small could surprise. Uh, uh, Scotiabank writes that Canadian small cap equities offered a, quote, disappointing performance in 2017, with the TSX small cap performing poorly in both absolute and relative terms. Uh, still, solid global growth, late state conditions, and firmer commodity prices slash inflation should benefit the resource-heavy TSX small cap index relative to the TSX 60. Uh, so some interesting themes there moving ahead. Uh, uh, some of the gold, obviously, bugs will have uh, spoken a lot about the U.S. dollar weakness. You hear a lot of buzz about inflation and interest rates. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, moving ahead. An interesting list there of commodities, gold, West Texas Intermediate, and then copper. Though, as we've talked about copper, uh, in terms of base metals, it's not really a preferred near-term exposure for a lot of institutions. They have more of a longer, broader time horizon on copper moving into the 2020 through 2023 period, uh, where you'll see a window where that or undersupply, I should say, fundamental might rear its ugly head um, and the lack of exploration and investment in development properties might find us in um, um, a deficit that could uh, drive that copper price back up. So interesting stuff heading into 2018 where, yeah, we could I could certainly see uh, a situation where sub-$1,300 gold, uh, gold gives you a strong investment footing if uh, some of these things like we talked about in terms of the U.S. dollar uh, and its levels, some of the things we talked about in, in terms of inflation, and not to mention all the geo geopolitical risks we're hearing about uh, might 
make gold a pretty attractive near-term upside value. And that pretty much wraps up our macro section for the week. Uh, so let's head on over to the geology corner and join Leslie for a discussion on Novo Resources and its Karatha project in the Pelbara region of Western Australia. Uh, as noted, Leslie has done quite a bit of research on this project and has worked in Australia herself. So she'll be digging into Novo Resources' most recent press release uh, and expressing some of her thoughts on the geological model that they have adopted um, and what that could mean for the company and the stock moving ahead. Uh, so this should be a great one. I know it's a big story in the industry and people uh, sort of eat up this WIS 2.0 stuff. Uh, so we'll head right on in, uh, let Leslie, uh, Leslie fill you in on what's going on there. Uh, and then I'll be back after the break to talk a little bit about regulators and disclosure um, and uh, move in to introduce Marilise Koenig from PWC uh, at our Progressive Mine Forum. Hey everyone, this is Leslie Stokes, writer and geologist with The Northern Miner, and you're listening to The Geology Corner. I'm not sure if any of you have noticed, but Novo Resources has announced a new geological model for its Paleoplacer gold deposit outside of Karada in Western Australia, and it has left me wondering, should investors really be calling this deposit a WITS 2.0? Or should we all be calling it a Bering Sea 2.0? The company has confirmed in a newly updated deck on its website that the Placer Gold Bering conglomerates at its Comet Well Purdy's Reward property were likely deposited billions of years ago in a nearshore marine environment. So nearshore marine, pretty much being a fancy way of saying a beach. So in this model, Gold is shed off the landmass and transported to the ocean through rivers and streams, where it's then redistributed along the shoreline, you know, through longshore currents and wave action. And this could go on for millions of years. And as sea level rises and falls, rises again over that time period, you know, it can create layers of these gold bearing gravels that follow the ancient shorelines. So the company says this geological model is quote-unquote strikingly similar to modern lag gravels on the ocean bottom at Nome, Alaska, where gold nuggets are found underlying tens of square kilometers of the Bering Sea. The company even included photographs from the Discovery Channel's hit series Bering Sea Gold, which basically follows artisanal miners diving off the coast in Alaska collecting nuggets. So what does this mean for Novo's Karada project? Well, that's open to interpretation. And as a geologist, this type of model tells me two things. Number one, the extent of these gold-bearing conglomerates could be pretty limited. As remember, they're deposited solely where the ocean meets the land, rather than distributed evenly through an extensive network of braided rivers and channels, such as those seen at Wits, right? Now the other thing, number two, it also tells me that while the conglomerates that sit at the base of Mount Roe basalts, which host the gold in Karada, they may be extensive there, but the amount of gold they contain is dependent, or would be, on the proximity to the gold source. In other words, if you had a river dumping gold into the ocean, the amount of gold you'll see along the shoreline will dissipate as you beachcomb your way down the coast, right? 
So now some of you might be thinking, Leslie, 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 prospectors have shown that there's heaps of gold all over Kerala, so the conglomerates must be extensive and they must be rich with gold. But, you know, I'd still even argue and say that even though there's certainly lots of gold in the Kerala region, we still don't know where that gold came from. For example, prospectors could be picking up the gold from the regolith, from the overlying hardy formation, from the erosional remnants of orogenic gold deposits, which are quite prolific in that package, and not necessarily from the four to 20 meter thick conglomerate horizon at the base of the Mount Row, which by the way, guys, is called the Bellary Formation. So the thing is, we've all assumed that the gold that the buys are picking up is from the Bellary. And until we can actually look at a reliable geological map of the area, only then can we know for sure. And I have yet to see one published date. I'm dying to see a geology map of the area. So it takes really trained individuals to pick out the geological context from highly weathered rocks in Australia's outback. That's for sure. And you can't really rely on prospectors to know where they are in the stratigraphic column. Sure, by half the time, you can't even trust a geologist to know <laughs> that's the truth. So anyway, <laughs> let's get back to wits. So does this nearshore marine alluvial or gravel lag gold deposit in Western Australia fit the 1.5 billion ounce gold wit waters rand geological model? And the answer to that, I think, is yes and no. So, the majority of scientists believe that the WITS was formed somewhere between, or during, actually, 2.9 to 2.7 billion years ago. The gold was eroded off the landmass, this is what the general consensus is, and deposited within six main sites in the basin where braided river deltas anastomosed over an almost flat coastal plain before flowing into the ancient Witswateren Sea. So the deposition persisted for 200 plus million years, resulting in a four kilometer thick package of sediments spanning a 300 kilometer long ashtray shaped basin. So the gold is in the basin is micron size, there's no nuggets, and about 40% of the gold is associated with carbon leaders. So, shabam, that's wits, basically in a nutshell. Now, what do we know about Karada? The gold at Novo's Purdy's Well is hosted within 2.78-ish billion-year-old Bellary conglomerates. And the Bellary is a very thin package of rocks, as we know, 4 to 15 meters thick, that sit at the top of a major regional unconformity but they're conformable with the overlying Mount Rowe basalts. So we know that also that the conglomerates are super immature, so the rocks weren't transported far from their source, and the gold is coarse-grained, like super nuggety, and it's not associated with any carbon. So if you were to write out all these differences, and more so side by side, you'll see that there's heaps of geological differences between the Wits and Karava. You could stretch and say that Karada may represent, you know, the coastal remnants of a Wits-like deposit. You know, for example, maybe rivers that braided over the top of Wits or a similar deposit like that. 
may have eventually flowed into an ocean and the ocean may have then reworked the gold bearing gravels onto the shoreline. But you know, that would still make Karatha more of a Bering Sea 2.0 deposit than a Witz 2.0, at least I reckon. Now, all this being said, Novo stock is getting hammered right now simply because the company just doesn't know how to sample the deposit yet. They run into pr some problems with their bulk sampling technique, using large diameter drilling. They said they're uncomfortable with this method and they're trying to find other ways. I just wrote an article about this for the Northern Miners, so go on our website and check it out to get the details. And the company also did mention that the fine-grained portion, the fine-grained gold portion of the deposit is pretty much negligible, you know, occurring as metamorphose halos around coarse grain nuggets. So not sure, you know, all that being said, and, and I'm not sure how the change in geological model um, may impact the outlook of gold in the Pilbara, but it's certainly a super interesting space to watch, and I definitely have my eye on it. You know, um, whether you're an investor or a geologist, yeah, keep, keep your eye on that story. Anyway, thanks for listening in. Again, this is Leslie Stokes. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. And welcome back to studio. Thanks again to Leslie for dropping by to update us on Novo Resources and what's going on down in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Um, and that's just another one of those. It's interesting. Like, I mean, if you want to look for one sign that the markets might be turning the corner in terms of mining venture capital, it's some of these frothy stories without a whole whack load of, you know, substantive technical data that are going absolutely bonkers share price rise. Like Novo, I can, you know, they, they did find gold nuggets and it sort of drove that interest level. But to date, they have not developed any sort of structural or geological model. They have, it pretty much, as Leslie said in her segment, disclosed that they don't know how to sample the stuff. Um, and now the geological model is changing. And, and surprise, surprise, the stock's way off huge highs. Um, and maybe it's because we're in a new cycle and people have sort of forgot what this frothy junior market can be like. But it's uh, it's important to remember whether you're new or whether you're um, you know, returning to the industry in terms of being an investor is to really focus on technical disclosure. And Leslie's going to, we'll probably do another one of these. We did one earlier if you want to rewind the podcast about six months. But when you're looking at mining companies and uh, in terms of technical disclosure, I mean, geologists want to see as much information as possible, whether it be drill collar maps, cross sections, long sections, anything, just give them everything. They want everything. Um, but also as an investor, you should look not so much whether you understand these things. You should definitely get a good broker, definitely get some good technical assistance. But aside from that, um, look for the presence of these things. The more detail the company puts on their website, the better. Uh, the more detail they have in their PowerPoint, the better. Um, if a lot of these things are missing, there's only a few reasons that come to mind for why they aren't there. Uh, the technical community, community, whether they be geologists, independent analysts, etc., want these pieces of information. For a company not to have these publicly available, or easily available, I should say, they're always typically publicly available if you dig deep enough on CDAR, which is our Canadian public document filing system, you will be able to find them, but they should be the first thing you see almost. And uh, Leslie will go on at length about this and uh, it drives her absolutely bonkers. She's a geologist. She's a journalist. She works for a newspaper. If she goes to a company's website and can't find a piece of information, she wants to develop a story. 
there's something wrong. So I just, uh, I'd stress uh, whether you do get a subscription to the Northern Miner or get your technical assistance in some other form, uh, if you are going to be involved in this industry on an investment basis, please do look into these things. Uh, you can always give us a call. I'm sure Leslie would uh, be willing to talk to people about technical disclosure because I know it drives are absolutely bonkers. There's been a few uh, instances of this where it's never, not necessarily always at the fault of the company. I mean, they often do little to dissuade it, but there is a, a narrative element to our business on the outside, uh, whether that be uh, independent newsletter writers or analysts that uh, do tend to whip up uh, rather extravagant narratives and uh, can push stocks like Novo Resources or others in the industry to valuations that are unjustified. Um, and uh, I'd just be, you know, caution people in terms of taking some of these what are effectively marketing material uh, with a grain of salt, uh, especially if you're already looking at a share or investment opportunity that is highly valued. Um, and uh, this is something uh, I guess we always, we knew it when the markets are good. We kind of tend to forget it when the markets are really bad and nobody's junior stocks are not really doing anything. Everything's relatively flat. But uh, it's important to remind everyone now that we're getting into a market where there is some optimism, that there's going to be narratives. Um, and narratives don't always lead to much gain for the long-term investor. Uh, what does is is good, solid, systematic exploration, geological modeling, things that Leslie loves. Uh, but uh, so just remember, when you are going and approaching these opportunities, uh, there's going to be big, splashy headlines. There's going to be big, splashy statements and stories, not necessarily always coming from the company itself. Um, but uh, do take those with a grain of salt. Consult your investment professional, consult technical professionals, and just make sure that uh, you're doing your due diligence because uh, that's one thing in this uh, in this business I cannot stress enough. Do your due diligence, um, and you will not uh, find yourself in a bad situation where something uh, that looked like a great story was overvalued and went down, let's say, 50% following your investment. Um, and uh, that's sort of all I have to say about that. But I mean, the issue, I, I want to talk a little bit about regulators too, because one of the issues I have with, with our Canadian securities regulators is that they, they have a tendency to bog legitimate companies down in unnecessary procedure when they also allow maybe uh, people who are walking on the fringes of what is legal to pursue these activities because, well, let's put it basically, bureaucrats lean on procedure and when something doesn't really fit into the box that they they're familiar with it sort of freezes them uh we saw an example of this recently with a stock called west high yield resources why um where it was halted just way too late with a really suspect situation in terms of disclosure i mean i would just stress to the regulators i don't even know if any listen to this podcast (laughs) is to maybe maybe work in a little bit less on the procedural side where i've heard horror stories about legitimate companies trying to file 43 101 documents and like regulators getting hooked up over like two sentences for a month and this company's just trying to release their disclosure and they're like well they won't they won't let us and meanwhile they're they're late on trade holds or they miss blatantly um suspicious activities uh and, and catch it too late before you know after the damage has already been done which is not just monetary damage it's also damage for us as a as an industry so anyway this is me rant it did turn into a rant i can't i can't help it um that's actually a topic I, I will have to get uh, get someone on the show to talk about securities regulations, disclosure, and compliance. Uh, we, maybe we should do an interview on that coming up. I'll have to uh, make a note on that. But uh, moving ahead here, we're going to uh, shift into our sponsor spotlight, which features Marilise Conning from PWC. Uh, this is, again, from our Progressive Mind Forum in Toronto on October 23rd. Um, and Marilise is going to talk a little bit about innovation 
how it affect PwC's business uh, and the mining business generally. Uh, she's also going to discuss a couple competitions they have coming up, including the Art of Mining, uh, which is actually in its final year and runs a PDAC. Um, and uh, this year's uh, theme is, in fact, innovation. So uh, I'll run my uh, sponsor spotlight segment with Marilise, um, and I'll be back after the break to wrap up the show. Welcome, welcome to... Welcome to... The Sponsor Spotlight. Sponsor Spotlight. Welcome back, everybody. Once again, we are in downtown Toronto with the Northern Miners Progressive Mine Forum for our interview series. Uh, right now, I'm joined by a partner from PwC, Marilise Conning. Marilise, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Um, it's great to be here. Um, there's two things that uh, PwC is doing that I found pretty interesting, and, and, and there were competitions, actually. Um, um, so maybe if you'd like to get us started a little bit, uh, let's start with the art of mining, and then we can move on to your next competition. Um, you know, I think what we're finding now is we're finding that the industry is in such a sensitive balance. So those are really two great events we've put together to say, come and showcase us, you know, come and showcase the things you've done differently. Um, the art of mining runs every year as part of the PDIC, um, you know, timing in, in, in March every year. And at this time, all we're really doing is we're getting the message out there and asking companies, um, bring us your photos, you know, and mm-hmm. every year there's a bit of a theme around it. This year we'd like to showcase innovation. Now, you know, for most mining companies, innovation still, it's a big burden, right? What are we doing around innovation? Mm-hmm. But it can be small, you know. How are you, uh, is your, how are you innovating your talent management? How are yep. you innovating your hiring? You know, what are you really doing differently? Um, and so we're really at this point, you know, we are having a bit of a marketing campaign to get people to share. Um, and so that's really interesting. Um, what was the theme last year that you... The theme um, last year was diversity. Diversity, okay. There was a, a big focus on diversity and inclusion. Now, be, me being a female, you know, if you ask us PwC, what do you think of diversity? <laughs> it's not only women, Matt. Yeah. Diversity is a big challenge in the mining industry. Yeah. Obviously, women is a part of that. But I think a big driver for us in diversity is we're looking at it much broader. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your diversity like when you think of your board composition? You know, bringing in people from different industries and backgrounds because we're kind of at a tipping point in the industry at the moment. You know, we survived a pretty, a few pretty rough years, but you know, the next, where's that next wave of innovation coming from, from and people that think differently. So it starts all the way from the top. It's not just, you know, females, but it's to look through your organization and say, where do I need those thinkers and doers that can take us to the next level of where we want our companies to be. I think it's interesting you mentioned labor because it, it, we talk about innovation, everyone wants to talk about automation and everyone wants to talk about continuous mining and, and things that's sort of at the implementation level. Um, but there's a lot of innovation to be done because as we all know, uh, a lot of us are, a lot of the mining industry is going to be retiring relatively soon. So I think it's interesting to, to that you have that sort of idea of, of expanding the workforce through diversity initiatives. I think it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a part of innovation I think that doesn't get enough and traction. It's, it's yeah. And that, you know, what, what I, I don't want us to get hung up on um, just the automation side. Mm. Like you were just saying, there's a bunch of people retiring. So how do we innovate our talent now to still have a couple of years with those people with the many vast years of experience that have moved through the seasons, mm-hmm. but also get the people in that are more comfortable on automation and innovation and, you know, some of these disruptive technologies that there are. So I think it's a, you know, that, that leads us into a completely different realm of strategic decisions and vision that mining companies are faced with at the current time. Well, it's funny. I, I just was actually reading that Rio Tinto committed about $2 million in Australia to curriculum for 
innovative mining practices. So they're looking sort of at that problem. And, and it's, it's definitely a problem I think mining companies should be investing capital in for sure. So, no, and I yeah. think it's, you know, it's also going to impact the way you're going to develop the mine of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so big, uh, big billion dollar projects will have to think of that direction. It's going to impact your um, rehabilitation plans, you know, and, and that touches all stakeholders around mining companies. And, and, and Merle, is the second um, little com- the competition that you'll be running this year, uh, I guess, is are these in their early stages or have you guys been doing these for a while? We've been doing them for a while. So yeah. the, um, the Art of Mining, this is our, I think it's our fifth, but it's also our last year. Oh, okay. You okay. Know, so these, um, a lot of these events and competitions have a bit of a lifetime. We've we've had some great traction, so we'd like to end it on a high note. So this is the final year to submit your first okay. Art of Mining. Okay. The other one that I quickly wanted to touch on is um, our Vision to Reality. Mm-hmm. That's not just limited to mining companies, but what our Vision to Reality contest really is all about is to recognize those companies that do things differently you know the and it's it's kind of there's broken into three tiers the small caps um, mid tiers and then large cap companies mm-hmm. and also looking at what you know how have you innovated yourself as a company automation is a big part of that and you have all these uh, you know startups that, that come up with interesting concepts, but it's also, we spoke about that a little bit earlier, you know, how have you, uh, how have you innovated your HR function? Um, you know, the way you deal with the government. Mm-hmm. What are those things that you've done differently that we'd like to recognize? And and you mentioned uh, off air to me that I Am Gold was a finalist last year. And, and Steve uh, Letwin, president and CEO, just actually addressed us in the other room. So, um, And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, I had you here, Marilee, is it's always interesting to talk to someone um, from the accounting side, from PwC. Um, I read your uh, your annual report, sort of uh, your brief on the mining industry. Um, and uh, I, I, it was the theme was sort of funny. It was sort of stop. rethink your strategy and move forward because as you mentioned obviously we're coming out of a fairly down cycle right now Um, and so I'm just wondering um, if you have any observations about about where maybe some more of the bigger companies I suppose uh, not so much the junior industry but more of the intermediate to 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 majors how they've where they are now and, and sort of you know, what PwC is going to be watching, like what, what you're going to be watching moving forward no, with them. I yeah. think, you know, we're at a very interesting phase. The companies came out of, a, um, you know, the last couple of years where they were highly criticized for some really, you know, big strategic blunders, almost if you want to say. So decision making was a big criticism around definitely the large caps. <laughs> um, but where we're at now is, you know, through the last five years, things also have also changed dramatically. You know, you and I have spoken a lot about innovation and automation just now. But one of the key, you know, um, I'd say one of the challenges around that is you need to make decisions quickly. So we've just, the mining companies have just recovered from all the strategic blunders and you know, all the criticism around their um, decision making. And now they're moving into the next phase where they'll still have to make these decisions quickly. Mm-hmm. So what is it that they're doing differently? You know, um, at the current time, we are talking to a lot of companies about their enterprise risk management and strategy. Yep. You know, um, how does that impact what are the key risks that you're driving and how are you integrating that throughout your organization to be able to be nimble? Um, there's, some, there's some very interesting partnerships coming up mm-hmm. you know, for, for all of this innovation and automation to happen. Um, you know, there's partnerships with different companies from outside of the industry. So how does that impact your strategy and where you're going? And then how are you going to finance that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that we've been uh, watching for a number of years now, um, is to say, is there some interesting 
date structures that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, with all of that being said, we heard what Steve said this morning. Yeah. Cost control. Is Cost key. control. Yeah. So how do we, you know, what is that very fine line between automation and spending to be able to achieve that cost control? Because there's still, you know, there's still um, a big focus on that. And we've talked a lot about the industry and, and, and some of uh, the trends, but I, I wanted to ask on PwC's side, are, are you as a company seeing that impact of that innovation at PwC? Is there more, we hear the buzzword big data a lot and we hear we hear a lot about analytics, uh, enhanced analytics now. Is, is this affecting PwC's day-to-day business as well? Absolutely, you know, it's become a key focus for us. Yeah. Um, part of many conversations that we're having is, you know, what does the finance, finance function of the future look like? What does the CFO of the future look like? Um, there's so much data available. Um, if we look at our companies in our own company, how do we use that and how do we use that effectively um it's you know and it's ever changing as well uh we're you know when you're dealing with a workforce that's far more comfortable with data mm-hmm. but you're also dealing with people that are far more used to a level of precision around that data or decisions is made so it's a very fine balance that even we in our own industry have to start balancing out and also look at you know being more effective i think that's key to be able to plow your way through the data but make the right decisions at the end of the day well, I, I always hear the bit, one of the big challenges when you're designing any strategy around any of this is, is how fast technology changes and how fast data changes. So you have to sort of build in this inherent flexibility into your strategy because next year you might be looking at a new technology and a new form of connectivity that we don't even have now. So, yeah. You know, um, Matt, one thing for us is just to make sure that get the right experts in the room. You don't necessarily have to appoint a technology expert to your board, but, you know, when we speak to board and management teams, um, you know, at this point, things change so rapidly that our big, call, you know, our big recommendation is to say, make sure you have somebody that can advise you, that can help you through the journey. There's definitely those experts are out there. Don't be afraid to ask for help because that way at least you have somebody independently coming to weigh in and give some advice. Perfect. Well, Marilise, I'd like to thank you once again for joining us today at the Progressive Mind Forum. Thank you very much, Matt. It was wonderful to be here with you. And once again, this is Marilise Koenig, a partner with PwC. Welcome back to studio. Thanks again to PWC and Marilise Koenig for our sponsor spotlight this week and for attending our fantastic Progressive Mind Forum in Toronto, Ontario. Um, yeah, and those are two great competitions. The Art of Mining, I like to see those pictures at every PDAC each year. There's some really stunning photography coming out of the mining industry, and you see that at Roundup as well. There's uh, just fantastic imagery coming out of uh, some of these mine sites and camps just in beautiful locations. Uh, this year, obviously, the uh, theme, as Marilise said, is innovation, so get your int- entries in for that uh, also vision to reality is hashtag v2r on twitter check that one out uh, you can get your entries in for that as well and as always head over to pwc.com for more information and that does mark pretty much the end of our show for the week but uh, before i depart there's one thing i wanted to do for those of you that stick around right to the end of the program a little bit of a sneak peek on what's coming down the pike for the northern miner podcast uh some of you who were attending cim student night last thursday might have heard me talk about this i let this slip a little bit uh we're developing a new segment for the program to uh sort of partner with the geology corner or or augment the geology corner if you will the engineering corner so uh, we're going to be bringing in some special guests from the 
engineering side to talk a little bit about some of the same themes and ideas that we tackle in the geology corner uh, in terms of uh, what investors should look for in disclosures, uh, certain you know terms and colloquial elements that maybe uh, aren't as obvious to those that haven't been in the business for a super long time. So just like Leslie comes in to give us, give us the geology viewpoint on certain elements, we're going to be bringing in engineers, guest engineers, to talk a little bit about certain elements in the business, give us some insights, uh, and talk about some of the hot button topics in the engineering industry. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. We're just setting up our inaugural guest for the engineering corner. Uh, so expect that in the coming weeks. It's going to be a, a great little segment. I'm really excited about it because it's always um, super, super fun to get other viewpoints. And I know that geologists and engineers don't always see eye to eye. So I'm pretty excited to see uh, what we can come up with on that front. Uh, but once again, this has been Matthew Keevil. Thank you so much for listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you.